Hi, everyone. This is Heather. A note before we get into today's episode. Thirsty is a podcast where most of the time we talk about dating, relationships, and life after divorce. However, our tagline, because sometimes life leaves you wanting more, is bigger than divorce. Divorce may be an opportunity to think differently about life, but there are many other life experiences that create that same potential to learn more about ourselves and others, challenging our preconceived notions. And understanding each other's biggest life experiences, whether it's divorce or something else that's even bigger, is one way to do just that. To that end, Today, we're talking to our guests, Amanda Vaughn and Holly Cates, about adoption from their perspective as adoptees. Welcome back to Thirsty the Podcast. Hi, everyone. We are so excited to have everybody here for today's episode of Thirsty, the podcast. So today we're talking about the experience of adoption. And the intention today is to talk about this subject in a way you may not have heard before or may not have heard often. And that is adoption, 100% prioritizing the experience of an an adoptee. We think that's really important. And we think more people, uh, it's important for people to understand more about the reality of adoption and what that really feels like and looks like better and then on a more personal level. I am really excited because our two guests today are people that Laura and I know really well. And one of them is my very first best friend in life. So I'm very excited about this. I want to introduce Amanda Vaughn and Holly Cates. um, And then we're going to have each of them share a little bit more of their stories. So Heather and I met Amanda um, back when we were all writers for a national wedding website a million years ago or so it feels um, in a different, maybe lighter, more fun, easier time of life, or that's how I remember it. Um, We were all married then, no one had kids, it was fun and drinks and going out for dinners and all, all that good stuff. Amanda is a licensed psychotherapist. She practices in Rhode Island, is a mom to four great kiddos, and like Heather, is an avid Peloton user. And then Holly is actually one of my very first childhood best friends. I've been so excited about this recording, to be honest, because I'm so excited, Holly, to have you on. We met when we were probably eight or nine years old. I think we figured out we used to go to the park. We played at each other's houses, you know, all those things you do with your childhood bestie. And our moms are very good friends. And the reason that we connected is kind of funny. I don't think I've talked about this much on the podcast. I'm one of 22 kids mix of adoption. You know, my mom was pregnant and also had kids and Holly had a very similar family. And she's the only person I have ever met who had such a similar experience. Her family was also very large and built in much the same way. Our moms were best friends, over 20 kids in each of our families. And so you can imagine how exciting that is to make a friend who understands all of that. We had the most epic sleepovers in the land with our sister, Julie and Lindsay. And that was one of my favorite parts of my childhood, to be honest. I'm going to tear up a little bit because it meant a lot to me. I I love Holly. Anyway, Holly lives in Texas, and she is a supervisor across three school districts for a regional day school program for deaf and hard of hearing students. She is married with three beautiful children that are just so cute. She volunteers. She serves as a board member, and she is chair for a variety of nonprofits in her area. So firstly, why don't we start off, I would love to hear from you all a little bit about your story. Holly, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience with adoption? 
Well, um, I was adopted from Korea, so I was an international adoption. Um, I was, I think I was the ninth in my family to enter in, and at the time I was 18 months old. Um, I don't remember anything about that point in time. I was just so young and everything was so new, but I do remember like my sisters always telling me, you know, I was learning English um, all the while trying to get accustomed to American foods. And mostly the adjustment was like making sure there's enough cookies for me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm one of 24 um, kids in my family. My mom had adopted 18 kids um, internationally and domestically, um, and she had six kids herself. So that's a little bit about me. Amanda, what about you? What's a little bit of your background? So my experience of adoption was I was adopted soon after birth, and it was always part of my story. It was something I always knew about myself. Um, but I think what's been really interesting to me and what's been a huge part of my personal journey is understanding that over time, adoption had a really huge effect on me that I never really faced or processed. And I think a huge part of that is the world tells you you're so lucky and this is wonderful and adoption is beautiful. And so you internalize all of that. And there are ways in which that's absolutely true, but it under it undercuts the other layer of trauma that is really present as an adopted person. And you're not really given a lot of space to talk about that. And so for me, that's been a huge piece of what I've gotten a little bit louder about at this phase of my life in terms of giving some voice to that part of the experience. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. And Amanda, I've known, so Amanda and I follow each other on social media and I think it's been interesting to see, like, it's been very clear that you've been doing some deep thinking about the experience and, and all of those things. And it's been really, um, I appreciate you sharing all of your thoughts, you know, on social media the way you have, because I know I've learned a lot from some of the things you've been working through and talking about. I think it's really interesting too, when it's like, I don't have experience within my family or close circle. I mean, Amanda, quite honestly, you might be the first person I knew who was adopted who really talked about it. And so I agree with what Heather said as far as following your story and what you're sharing has been really impactful and interesting because it's not something because it hasn't personally touched my life that, you know, I've really spent a lot of time thinking about it because it hasn't been a part of my story. So again, I've been enjoying following along with you and learning from you. Now, one thing, Amanda, you, you've talked a little bit, you know, on social, as we mentioned, that sometimes adoption isn't what people or society think it, think it is, you know, that it's different from what's messaged most uh, broadly, and that we really need to flip the script on that conversation. What would you like to say on that front? So much to say on that front. I, I could give a TED Talk. Um, but ultimately, I think a part of it is really understanding that adoption at its Genesis is a traumatic loss. It is a disruption in your connection, in your biology, in your foundation that affects you. It is in your cells that something happened to you that is not meant to happen biologically. And when we look at what that does over time in terms of shaping who you are, in terms of shaping your ability to form healthy attachments, in terms of your sense of self, in terms of having these lingering questions of something happened to me, we're not really talking about it. I don't always feel great about it. And frankly, society does this really strange thing where people tell us it's wonderful, but then the kids at the lunch table are saying, where's your mom? Why did she give you up? Is she coming back for you? And you're sitting there as a kiddo saying, I have no idea 
I am so scared of those answers and I have to pretend it's okay for you, but I actually feel the exact same uncertainty. And that's a huge psychological task for any child to navigate, let alone feel like they're navigating alone. And I think um, I wanted to add on to that because as, as for my experience, you know, growing up with a huge um, adopted family, it, it was so normalized because all we ever did was socialize with other kids that were adopted or were siblings of adoptees. And so it really didn't become an issue for me. I mean, I see where the trauma came from and I'm starting to slowly recognize that as an adult um, because we didn't get the weird questions all the time because everyone had that same experience um, or was or familiar with that experience. But um, now that I've become a mom and it's kind of like um, I went through that journey of trying to locate birth family, um, try and go through Korean records. I don't speak Korean. I don't uh, read Korean. So I was always left to the mercy of whoever could translate at the orphanage. And so communication was very, very slow. And when I finally did find something, it was one sheet of paper. And it was already a sheet of paper I already owned. And I was like, oh, that's so devastating um, not to find any blood relative to know what I look like as a baby, to know what a sibling would look like. So having my kids for the first time was like the first time I did get to actually meet a blood relative. And it was just like, wow, this is what they were talking about. I've got somebody's eyes. I have somebody's mouth. I mean, this is really cool. But then um, having to answer questions for them the questions I never really had to think about or had to answer. And it was like difficult, like where, where's your real mom? I go, well, my real mom is, you know, she's, she's in heaven, but talking about my adopted mom and then talking about, you know, my birth mother, the mother that gave birth to me when I was in her tummy. So it's, it's just been like, Oh, this is something I really should think about, should really more dive into. And I think I've been avoiding it for the longest time when I was younger, because I was like, well, I don't want to open those can of worms. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to get my feelings hurt, you know? So that's kind of where um, my journey was as far as like expressing that and being so sheltered as a kid and not having to work around that, you know? I think it's interesting. Both of y'all have mentioned I know I've experienced this in different things. Like I, I see my childhood differently as an adult. And it was when I had kids, I was like, oh, and like certain things that happen <laughs> as a kid, I see it differently now. I think it's interesting. Both of y'all mentioned that you've processed this experience or uncovered things in a much different way as an adult. It's different from when you were kids. What do you, like, do you feel like it was having kids, you know, and becoming a mom that made you think about it differently? Or what was it that un unlocked some of those things, that unlocked some of those things? I don't know about you, Amanda, but for me, it was just wanting to know that the family history, the the medical background, um, because we could give half of it to the doctors, but we couldn't give the other half. And so it was always like, well, are they prone to diabetes? I don't know. Are we prone to cancer? I don't know. So I think it's just the unknown of that and wanting my kids to be safe but also having that, you know, little kid Holly wanting to be safe too. So I don't know. I mean, what about you, Amanda? I totally agree. I think having your own children, having your own biological connections is a game changer. But I think when I go back to that younger version of myself, the reality for adoptees, most of them, especially zero to three, 
you don't have any other experience. You have no pre-trauma self, right? This is a nonverbal thing that happened to you. And so I went zero to 40 saying, this is what life feels like. This is what it is to live in my body. And all of a sudden, and I can tell the story of kind of what shifted fundamentally, but it was, oh, wait, maybe this is about adoption and I don't have an anxiety disorder, and I don't have a migraine disorder, Mm -hmm. and I don't have acid reflux, my body has not acknowledged a trauma. And granted, this is a psychotherapist coming out in me, but (laughs) there there was so much emotional stuff that I just shoved away because I didn't realize that's what it was coming from. I just thought this was how you live. And so then connecting those dots was just like watershed moment of my life. And, you know, as an aside, or maybe this is kind of the crux of the story, I've never felt better. I have never felt more authentic. I have never felt more genuine in who I am. I have never had better conversations in my life because it just makes sense that this affected me really deeply. That's incredible. You're making me think mm-hmm. of the book, um, The Body Keeps the Score, you know, where sometimes you, and, and, and it's not, you know, it's not everyone, you know, and Holly, I don't know if you would agree with this or if you had a different experience where those uh, traumatic things that happen in our life does go into our body, sometimes in a way that our brain doesn't even recognize, and it comes out as certain things. Uh, and I think, I, I don't know, I think what you just said is really fascinating. Sometimes your body is trying to tell you things that you're not ready to hear or see cognitively. I was going to say, I would wonder too, for kids who don't know that they've been adopted, I mean, obviously like some family, every family handles it differently and you all both were raised knowing your story and those pieces. And I can imagine how confusing it would be to not have, you know, sometimes you don't find out until you're in middle school or in high school or whenever your family decides to share that information. And I would think that there would be so many things like Amanda, you said, those light bulbs of being able to put those pieces together once you know. And what's fascinating with that is when family secrets are revealed, people almost universally say, I knew deep down and now I feel validated. Like family secrets are not what you think they are. They're there somewhere and they are felt. Holly, you have a personal perspective on interracial adoption. Can you speak more to your experience on that front? I think when you take any child that does not just not look anything like you. My mom was very white. And so was my dad. My dad's from Arkansas. My mom was from Fort Worth. And you have, you bring up this child who again, doesn't look anything like you. You tend to internalize yourself. Like I internalize myself. I am this blonde child. I'm blonde and blue eyed and I had a twang and I really did have that Southern sound to me that when people talked to me on the phone and then met me in person, they were like, wait a minute, (laughs) is this the same person? But you kind of lose that identity in a way. You don't know who you are. And so by the time you get into college and um, you realize, you know, people point out, hey, (laughs) you sound like you're from the country. (laughs) Like, well, my parents are. Um, my brothers and sisters are, so I guess I am too. And just not wanting to look at myself in the mirror a whole lot, um, just as a teenager going, oh, this is not who I think I am. I'm this blonde girl. What, where is this blonde girl I'm looking at? And, um, so I think it really does kind of mess with that sense of who you are. And you don't really find that until I guess after college, when you realize, Hey, I'm okay the way I am. And so I just, 
I think it just took a while for me to realize that to embrace, and I'm still trying to embrace that Korean part of me because I want my children to be proud of, because they're half white and half Korean as well. Um, And I want them to be proud of the Korean side. And that has to start with me. And I have to be like, hey, this is great. This is a beautiful culture. I'll learn some more about this culture and I'm going to teach it to you. So I think the pride of who you are just kind of gets muddled in with who you think you're supposed to be because of the people that are surrounded by you. Um, So I think to any parent who is doing international adoptions, who are adopting from Asia um, and are and our white couples or black couples, just knowing that, hey, just reiterate to that child that they are beautiful. That culture is very beautiful. Here's here's some of that culture um, and maybe shove it down their throat a little bit because my mom tried. She that, that poor woman tried. We went to Korean churches. We went to Korean functions. But I was just like, nope, I don't understand any of it. I don't know what they're saying. So I'm not going to be a part of that. And um, I kind of regret that attitude that I had because now I just feel like I don't really have a lot to give to my kids. Holly, does it feel like any part of you worried that that would be a betrayal to your adoptive parents? Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. I did. I did not want to disappoint my mom and dad. And I did definitely did not want to disappoint my siblings either. They were like, they were my lifeline. And so that was a huge part of it too, was like, if I said I was Korean, then I'm not like them and I don't want to be different from them. That's so interesting because I was wondering how, again, that when you're adopting from a culture that's not your own, like what the parents should be doing in that ownership piece. And it's so interesting that your parents were working to do all of those things. But it, again, it's your experience, which I think that this whole conversation, it's your experience and how you're interpreting things and being able to understand how to own those things like that's really hard for a small child to understand those two different worlds and dynamics and all of that happening um my kids are half korean and so i'm constantly trying and again like trying to figure out how i can interpret a culture and bring that into our household in a certain way i mean they have their dad who does that but i want to make sure that i can honor what i know but that is very different than again, adopting a, a child from overseas and then trying to fit those pieces because my kids see both sides in their parents. And that has to be really confusing to not to not see that within your household. I had another thought on the betrayal thing, which I think is as wonderful and good intentioned as some adoptive parents can be. There is still this underlying complexity for an adopted person in saying, I just don't quite know the rules. I just don't quite know what might hurt you. And if I hurt you, someone once gave me up. So where do I go with that? Right. And so even if you say the right things, it's not that I don't trust you because you're a bad person. I just don't know how to really trust anyone, any, (laughs) right. I don't know how to trust the boundary of a relationship. And so I think that's a piece where it, 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 there's so much education. There's so much conversation that has to be had with adoptees and adoptive parents about the things that a kid, right? When we look back, an eight-year-old can't articulate that I'm worried I'm betraying you. An eight-year-old just says, no, I don't know. I'm fine with you guys. I, I'll pretend I'm blonde in my head, right? And so it's that nuanced stuff that I feel like maybe as more adopted people get their voices out there, we can have these conversations in different ways. 
Well, and everything y'all are describing, like, I just think about how much that is like for an adult, but then you think about little kids are, are holding all of this in their bodies, you know, and trying to navigate all those things. Is there anything you would say to parents and families out there that maybe, you know, cause you only know what you know. And a lot of times people are adopting for the very first time and, and they don't know what they're doing either. Really? Is there any kind of advice or guidance you would give to, uh, you know, parents on the parenting side of how they could support a little kid? Because like part of me wonders if they even are cognizant of all these thoughts and feelings that, you know, that you might be having as a small child. Is there any kind of guidance you would want to give that maybe they could support that child better? I mean, for me, I would totally being an educator for so many years. I've seen these kids that are um, that come in that are in adopted situations too. And I would just reassure that child, reassure them, continually tell them, you know, it is okay to feel what you are feeling and validate the feelings that they have and give them names, give those feelings names. And I think that would have helped me too, because I do find, and again, all of this happened like after I was an adult and it took me how many years, 40 years, 35 years to realize, you know, the trust issues. I have really bad trust issues. And it wasn't because my mom was a bad person or my dad was a bad person. They were wonderful people. My siblings are wonderful people. But I think it's just that early on, you, you went, I went from, you know, a birth mother to a foster family or foster. I don't know what they call it in the, in the Korean systems, but I was with them for a little while. And then I was with somebody else for a little while. And then I came to my family. So I was bouncing around at least four times before I even came to America. (laughs) And so I think with that, you do end up with trust issues because as a little baby, you're like, what is going on? Where is my stable person? And so give those names, give those emotions a name and then validate those feelings. I think it's really the most important. Uh, Holly, I'm totally with you on having these harder, real, vulnerable conversations. And I think for, you know, just for opening up the conversation that adoption is not a cure for infertility. Adoption is a very, very different decision in parenting. You are parenting a child with complex trauma. It is unavoidable. There is literally no adoptee who doesn't come with that. They may not see it. They may not know it. They may have you know, kind of process the cultural and societal narrative that they're really lucky, but it is there and it does show up in certain ways. And so I think for parents to fundamentally understand that that is part of what they are signing up for. And I think beyond that, beyond, you know, what I was referencing with the betrayal piece is for adoptive parents to know you are not the only parents. This child also has a mother and a father and they may have questions about them they may want to meet them, they may want to know them, and they deserve that. That is important to them. That is important to their formation of an identity. That is important to their sense of self. And that is not a betrayal to you. Yeah, no, that's great. And I love what you said. Uh, You put words to something that has always rubbed me the wrong way about the connection of adoption to infertility. Like they're not, they're not correlated. (laughs) They're actually not correlated. Um, But I think a lot of people do that. So I appreciate you raising that because I think that is a really important thing to say. Now, Holly, you grew up in a very large family, (laughs) very large. I think you're the only family that beats mine that I am personally aware of. 
and a wide range of disabilities. Can you talk about, so you had a lot of siblings that were also had gone through an adoption experience. You know, what was that experience overall like for you? Um, so in the eighties, I'm aging myself. Um, when adoptions were occurring, I don't think a lot of parents were well aware of the trauma that comes with a child. They see it as a behavior issue. And so being one of the older ones in my family, I just chalked it up to, oh, they have behavior issues. So when they first came into our homes and they were acting out and they were doing all sorts of different things that you're like, this is not normal behavior, but hey, this is the 12th time we've done this. So let's get to it. Um, you don't recognize that, but you know, as an adult, as an educator, you see these behaviors as communication and you're realize I'm realizing back and I feel horrible that I didn't do anything, but they were mourning coming into our homes. You know, they don't know us. They don't know what's going on in the situation and no one explained what was happening to them. Just like no one explained it to us because we were just too young. And I just you know, I just see all of these kids and I cringe. I'm like, oh my gosh, they were crying and crying when they first came into the house. And I don't know, Heather, if you had that same um, experience and you just chop it up to, oh, well, they, they had, they have bad behaviors, you know, and just turn around as an adult and thinking, what could I have done differently? But now that we're educated and we know better, we can always do better. And that's what I'm hoping that this podcast does is help these families know it's not behavior. It's they're communicating with you. They're trying to tell you that they miss whoever was giving their care or their parents or their guardians, foster families that they were in before and they're hurting and they just need comfort and reassurance. And so I wish I could have done that. I appreciate you saying that because I remember that now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Holly and I were very embedded, I would say with a lot of other families that had added to their family through adoption and that was a convert. Now that you say that, I remember that. That was a conversation that happened a lot like, oh, so-and-so is having behavioral issues. That's exactly mm -hmm. the term that was used. And yeah, now I'm, I'm horrified by that because it really centers the adopting parents and not the kid who's just gone through something incredibly, is going through something so traumatic. And I think to add to that, sometimes it becomes this blame of the child's biology right? Ooh, we don't know where they came from. We don't know the issues. And so now all of a sudden we villainize these biological parents versus looking at the source of trauma. The trauma is the adoption. The trauma is the relinquishment. And that part always got me in terms of, you know, what if I struggle? What does that say about who I came oh, yeah. from? It's a really odd burden to carry. Did that I think also... I was oh, going to say, I feel like people put a lot on kids that kids are so resilient and they can cut, but like that it's these situations sound like it's not giving kids the opportunity to process and grieve and struggle and all that. It's just like, oh, kids can bounce back. They're fine. And if there is an issue, like you said, there's something bigger happening down the line, not this is a normal human response to something big that has just happened. Yeah. Well, for both of y'all, what are some of the things you feel like your adopting parents did well? Or what are some of the things that, you know, without, you know, I, I don't mean to blame anyone, but like we can all do things better. I can I can think of about 800 things right now that I wish had been different in my family for sure. Is there anything that you feel like your adopting parents did well to support you or things that you wish maybe would have been different? I can jump in. One thing that felt to me 
um, that was really huge was I never doubted my worth. And I think a lot of adoptees struggle with that. They, um, I mean, a lot of adoptees just to go off to the side for a second, struggle with mental health. They are at higher risk for suicide. They are at higher risk for needing interventions with mental health professionals because of the trauma. And I feel like a part of that is this kernel of worthlessness. Someone didn't want me, someone abandoned me, someone rejected me. Um, And I really, I do credit my parents very much for always instilling that I was a very worthy person. I had value in this world. I meant something. I was capable. Um, And I think that has, has been a huge gift to me. Yeah. And I think one of the amazing things that my mom had, my mom and dad had both done is just instill that sense of family, that we are a family, no matter what we look like, no matter who we are, no matter where we came from, we are a family. And, you know, it goes to show that, you know, years after my mom's passing, years after my dad's passing, um, there's no glue that holds us together, except we are a family. And we still, you know, to this day, get together for Christmas, get together for Thanksgiving. We go to each other's houses. We have play dates with our um, with our siblings and our nieces, our nephews. So I think that's one of the things that is a huge feat with 24 people um, and 24 people that have such a different, a different variety of backgrounds, disabilities, cognitive levels. And that was such a success for them. Um, you don't see each other going, we don't go like, that's my adopted brother. That's my, that's my sister. She's, she's the birth kid. There is no division and there never was. And my mom was always quick to um, not only correct us on that as kids, but correct other people that would say, where's your real parents? And she said, I'm the real mom. You know, she was very, very good about that. Can I ask y'all too, what, and this is something I'm just thinking off the cuff. So let me know what you think about this. How did you deal with talking, like trying to navigate erasure, like erasure of what your experience is like, you know, things that you have been through? Because I know in my family, I know at times it was really a struggle to make sure to honor the, you know, because in my family, like it was huge. Everyone had their own journey getting to their family, getting, you know, to become part of our family. And it was always a struggle to navigate not erasing their individual experience while also reinforcing that we're a family, no matter how this all came together. And that's real. It's really kind of difficult. How do, if this makes sense, question makes sense to you, can you kind of speak to that? Um, Like, how do you feel about that honoring, like the journey that each of you have been on, which is not all like Disney and perfect and wonderful, like some really difficult things have happened. Like, how do you, how do you think about that? My mom was a very strong person, very type A personality because she had to be, she was the head of the household. And I think in the eighties, it was more of kids are seen, not heard kind of thing. (laughs) And so a lot of the background, you know, if somebody was having issues, it was like, well, deal with it kind of thing. And I think that's what we, we learned to do. We learned to deal with it and go on um, because we were lucky to be picked we were picked we were adopted we were special um and we have a joke within our family too you know you're a birth kid I was chosen (laughs) you know that kind of thing that goes around still till to this day but it also didn't really address the trauma that we've had before and um 
just talking about our feelings that just wasn't done in our family because we weren't, you know, the touchy feely kind of people um, that I am today. Um, but yeah, I mean, just it just wasn't talked about. It was kind of taboo really back then. You know, like the difficult feelings you're having were just not existing. <laughs> Like, and not on purpose, I know. Yeah, that's just the way parents, I mean, and from what I've seen is that's just the way parents just kind of dealt with things back then. And I think the erasure is a huge topic. For example, you're erased from your biological family tree, right? I'm not in my grandfather's obituary. I'm not, right, seen or thought of in that same way. And yet that is my family. And then you are in this adoptive family where, it's kind of understood you're one of us now. And this is our culture, heritage way of being in this world. And certainly you have these experiences where you say, I don't look like you. My temperament's really different than yours. Where do I get these certain features that make me, me? And so you feel like there's also this erasure of where you came from or why you are who you are. And I think that is unbelievably cognitively complicated. It's a really huge task for any child to try to reckon with. Um, But it happens at so many levels, I think is my point that, you know, it it shows up in all these different places. Just from listening to y'all, like, I I just keep going back to all of these things being experienced by very small children, you know, and that that just sounds like so much. And then thinking about um, how maybe a lot of the understanding doesn't come until you're an adult. You know, I guess that's the way life works a lot of times when big stuff happens to us when we're little kids. Like we asked, like, Laura, you were talking about little kids are resilient and people say that. And I always like want to respond with, but are they? I don't know if that's true. Like, what does that mean? You know, like I, I, I think most people have at least one or two big traumatic events or big things that happened to them as a kid. I know for me, I didn't understand any of it until maybe the last five years of my life. You know, so I don't know if them being resilient, like, I don't know what that means. Like, what is that? You know, you carry it into adulthood until you're old enough to process it. Is that what that means? Yes and no. I think as, as we hopefully get better at having these conversations, we're able to say to younger kids, your adoption is a huge part of your story. It is a really big thing that happened to you and you're going to need to talk about it. And people are going to ask you questions. People are going to say things that make you feel really uncomfortable and feel different. And it is something that has and will affect you. And if we set that stage, if we set that expectation, just like if a kid had a medical condition, we would have to talk about it and manage it. This is the same in many ways, right? It is a part of their life that will have to be discussed and managed. And does that mean you talk to a therapist? Does that mean you confide in someone you really trust? Does that mean you ask hard questions to people in your life? It's it's absolutely something that hopefully we can create right a different experience for these younger kiddos who don't have the words and understanding to process it. Awesome thing about having Amanda here. She can explain the why behind so many things we're asking. We're like, why is it like that? And Amanda's like, let me tell you, because I know. Because <laughs> she does. Like that's I don't know. I I love it, Amanda, that you um because of your skill set as a psychotherapist, you can explain a lot of this to a degree that like there's so many things I'm like, well, why is it like this? Um, and I think once you have an understanding of the way our brains work, the way we process the things that happen in our life, that kind of helps you work through it or it does help you work through it, which obviously, you know, because that is your career. Um, for all of y'all, what are um, what do you wish more people understood about adoption? I think Amanda's already said it already. It is not a cure 
to create a family. Um, this is something that needs to be really taken into consideration of what is this going to do with your child? What can you do to support that child? And, you know, I think too many times it's just one of those dismissed. Yeah. Well, if I can't have kids, I'm just going to adopt and, um, not realizing what's going into it and what happens to these kids once they're in these families. I think the one thing that has really, I mean, just looking back as an adoptee, um, having that support group was vital to me. Um, I didn't realize it now. And as a, I mean, I didn't realize it as a child, but knowing that there were other kids in the same situation, I mean, with Heather, I just remember like, you know what it's like when someone's when and you're like, yeah, now, or, oh, we're, we're adopting another one. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and not that that was a bad thing or a good thing. It was just like, oh, here we go again. Um, so I think that more than anything has helped me I guess, go through those feelings because somebody else understands and knows, but also being in such a small, very um, close-knit community. Like not only was my community consisting of other families with adoptees and adoptees themselves and international adoptions and adoptees with physical disabilities and cognitive disabilities, but also, you know, within my church, within, um, my school, because I went to a small, small private school my entire life. I was very, very sheltered. And I think that's what really helped me realize, you know, adoption, you know, it's it's cool. Every, everyone's like that. So everyone has that story, you know, that kind of thing. And I can't imagine being the only person in your circle being adopted or not even knowing an adoptee to me is like kind of strange. Um, so overall, I think having that support system is just very vital. And I think the piece for me that I like to add into the conversation is that adoption is not just one thing. It is not just beautiful. It is also a trauma. It is also a loss. It is also grief. And both of those things can be true at once. And I think so often if an adopted person talks about a struggle or a pain or a wondering, people are so quick to go to, but aren't you so lucky? But your parents were so wonderful, but you had a great childhood. And both can be true. I personally can have so much gratitude for the life that I have lived. I have lived a really wonderful life. And at the exact same time, I have so much pain and so much grief for a family that I didn't get to know until I turned 40. That's a long time. Yeah, you're making me think, well, two things. And this is a bit of a crossover lesson. So going back to my experience of divorce, the biggest lesson that I learned, which sounds a lot like what you've been talking about, Amanda, is duality. Am I making the right decision for myself? Am I moving towards a life with more peace and happiness? Yes. Do Am I incredibly sad and devastated about this thing that had to happen in my life? Also, yes, it's both things at the same time. And I think sometimes in life, we try to make these big life events binary, black or white. This is great. This is terrible. And when the reality is that's not really how life works. Most things are terrible and beautiful at the same time. They cause devastation. They make your life better at the same time. Like, I, I think that's interesting. And I think that for me has been one of my biggest lessons overall with my divorce is learning that, that life is actually more complicated than the very super, superficial message that you see. 
Okay. So last question I have for all of y'all. So given what we talked about today, what do you know for sure? Like when you look back over your life and the things you've experienced, what's something that you know for sure that you hang on to as a big life lesson? For me, I think the journey over the last year has been about really claiming your truth unapologetically. And even if someone doubts you, even if someone says, how could that be possible? How, how could you feel this way after all this time? How have I never known this about you? It doesn't matter. And being able to speak who you are, honestly, it's healing, it's freeing, it's, you know, I might get a little woo-woo on the whole thing, but it is empowering, right? In a way of, I am not saying what you want to hear. I'm not playing by anyone's rules, but my own. And for me, that was the belief that I thought I had to keep quiet about my adoption to make everyone comfortable around me. And the reality was I have needed to talk about it for a really long time. And it's amazing, right? That's why I'm sitting here because I actually finally started talking about it because people said, I'm seeing, right, you be open about this thing. It's, it's amazing. So I think for me, it's, it's being okay with not being okay. Too many times you're just, you hold it in and you're like, oh, this is great. Adoption's great. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. But in the, you have to also understand too, that there's going to be a time when you have those weird and awkward questions and you're just like, I need to address that. Don't I, I need to be truthful to myself and I need to be truthful for my kids. And so I think that was the biggest takeaway is I I need to be, I need to be okay (laughs) with the uncomfortableness of what I may find out about um, my past or what these feelings truly are. Are they because I feel like, I think it's mostly just guilt. Like, oh, I looked up my birth family. I hope my family's okay with that. And they don't see that I'm I'm trying to find a new family or anything like that. Um, so being okay with not being okay. Well, thank you all so much for being here today. I really appreciate you sharing your stories and all of the experiences that you have had. I appreciate that. I know this is very personal to talk about. So thank you for being willing to do that. Thank you to everybody for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye. Still thirsty? You can get bonus content by subscribing to The Thirst Trap on Spotify or Apple or shop Thirsty Gear at thirstythepodcast.com. And don't forget to share this show with your community. Rate, review, and follow us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms.